Thank you, orchestra, for that beautiful, beautiful number. Appreciate it. Amen. Glad we get a victory in Jesus. Amen. And glad it's victory all the time. Not just sometimes. Not just when we're on the mountain or in the valley. But we can have victory all the time. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. Now, as I understand it, as, as I recall it, I should say, uh, we spent four sermons getting through chapter one, and uh, tonight I'm going to try to get through all of chapter two, and just tonight. But I figure about 45 minutes of service, that, uh, that means I get about three hours. <laughs> you all laugh now, but I bet by an hour and a half you'll be wishing I was... No, no. <laughs> In some ways, I, I hesitate to try to cover so much material in, in one, and yet, really, this is just one vision, and so we want to, we want to uh, try to maintain the unity of the vision. I don't want to break it up too much, especially with us going to be away, and so uh, you bear with me. I will try not to be uh, long-winded. But uh, the deal is, is you got to stay awake. You start falling asleep, and I just might come over, wake you up, and preach a little longer. All right? <laughs> Stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's Word. I don't know if you saw uh, Misty Peterson's uh, post on Facebook today, but one of the children uh, reflecting on their break-in said, at least they didn't take the brownies. And I've been rejoicing with that child since. Thank the Lord the thieves didn't get the brownies. They can have the laptops, and the, but they can't have the brownies. Uh, appreciate children who see the good, and even in these difficult situations, let's continue to hold them up. Zechariah chapter 2. I lifted up mine eyes again, and looked, and beheld a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire around about, hallelujah, and the glory in the midst of her. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the glory which he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil unto their servants, and ye shall know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come. 
And I dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. Father, as we read these words, our hearts leap for joy within us. As we think about these precious, precious promises and the vision that that Zechariah saw, Lord, help us to see with spiritual eyes. Help us to hear with spiritual ears. Lord, help us to get a glimpse of, of this vision. Lord, that our eyes might be opened up to what you have prepared for us. We ask these things in your precious, perfect name. Amen. You may be seated. Zacharias thus far has had some rather interesting visions, hasn't he? He's had uh, the army in the midst of the myrtle trees, in the presence of, of the people, and there was the Lord sitting on his war horse, ready to, do, uh, to defend his people. And then we talked last week about how the, the horns that were raised up, those that, that sought to, to uh, discomfort and to conquer and, and to cause difficulties for God's people, and how God raised up a, a skilled craftsman, a, a warrior, a deliverer for every single onslaught of the enemy. And God is continuing with this theme. And so Zechariah, it says he looked up again. He's, he's still having the same, same, he's still in that same kind of dream state, having that same vision. And this, is, and this time he sees a, a man. This man is uh, headed towards Jerusalem and, and uh, his purpose is clear. He is going to measure Jerusalem. Now, I suppose you probably haven't heard too many sermons on this. And there's, as I begin to study and research this out, I begin to figure out why. Because nobody can agree on what's going on here. Well, isn't that fun? But as I, as I begin to study and I read the commentators who, who believe that this was just a man, that just, just a, a, a person in a vision, that his identity is unimportant, and then other commentators were convinced this was the Lord. And as I read backwards and forth, I began to, to think about something. Suppose, if, if you would, that as you got home today, there was a, uh, after the service, there was a stranger in your house. And he had gotten out the measuring tape, and, he, and you saw him there, he, he was measuring the windows. And he's measuring the floor. And you'd say to him, what are you doing in my house? And he said to you, well, I'm measuring the windows for curtains, and I'm measuring the floor for carpeting. I suspect that the vast majority of the people here, and probably every single individual here, would say to that individual, get out of my house. We don't want strangers in our house measuring the windows for curtains or the floors for carpeting. None of us want that. That's our house. It's our castle. Maybe there might be a handful here saying, how much are you offering? 
But for the, for the majority of us, the, our, our initial reaction, our initial reaction is going to be, get out of my house. And I have become convinced as I've studied this passage that this must be the angel of the Lord. For only God who owns his city can measure it for the walls. I'm just convinced of that. As Zechariah is talking with the angel, he's saying, what's going on? And all of a sudden, another angel shows up. He's, he's coming out to the man and, and he's saying this. The Lord says this. Don't worry about building walls for the city. Don't worry about it. You don't need to build walls for the city because, because the, there's no need. The, the inhabitants of the city are going to pour out. There's going to be so many people. There's going to be so many cattle. There's, it's going to be so full. You don't want to put boundaries on the city. And I want you to know that sounds crazy. In this time period, every city had walls. If you didn't have walls around your city, you were going to be captured. It didn't take very much. It didn't take very much for an army to just come in. And Jerusalem is a very important strategic location. Because it is the major trade route between all of Asia and all the way up through uh, into uh, Asia uh, Minor and on and over into Europe. All of that is, is you have to cross through a very narrow path. And Jerusalem sits in a strategic location. And throughout history, we keep seeing different ones conquering Jerusalem, wanting that location because it is so important if you want to have trade between the east and the west. And here this angel is saying, the Lord says, this city is going to be so full, this place is going to be so filled up with people and cattle, don't bother building any walls. And I think that Zechariah had to think to himself, that is crazy. I tried to do some research and it's a little bit conflicting, but I was trying to figure out when did we quit building walls around cities. And uh, the last, from what I could tell, the last city to have walls that were built up around it for the, for the means of uh, military protection was in the 1800s. But really, it kind of fell out of style. Because as soon as there began to become uh, artillery, you could blast through the walls. That happened to, to Constantinople. The, the, uh, the Muslim people gathered their, their uh, cannons and they blew through the walls of Constantinople. And the Muslims took over the city and changed it to Istanbul. This happened, I believe, in about 1490, 1486, something like that, just, just before, of course... You'll remember that Columbus sailed to find a means to the east. And why were they willing to do that? Why would they risk their lives for that? Why would the kings and queens uh, risk their uh, wealth for that? It's because the Muslims had stopped the trade between the east and the west by conquering Constantinople. And from that time, walled cities became less and less and less. 
You still find some now and again. You remember, of course, the Berlin Wall. But really, that was not effective. How many times did, did uh, NATO and, and uh, those that, that were pro-democracy fly over and uh, drop food and resources and pamphlets and propaganda? It wasn't very effective. Even now, they, between the North and South Korea, they've got, they don't really have a wall, but they've got barbed wire. They've got a no man's land. And they've got, why not build a wall? Well, the fact of the matter is, you just shoot missiles over top. There's, no, there's nothing that South Korea can do to prevent North Korea from blowing up their capital city. They do not, there is no way to keep the missiles out. Building a wall, you can't build a wall high enough. You can't build it thick enough. But in this time, this was the era of walled cities. And for the, for the Lord to say, there doesn't need to be a wall, that doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. But the Lord gives two reasons why not to build a wall. He said the first reason that you don't need a wall is because, one, I'm going to be a wall of fire around the city. Amen. Now, it's immediately, I, I, at least I, I, in my mind, the first thing that I think about is when uh, God led his children out of, of Egypt and he was there as a pillar of fire. And he stood in between God's people and the Egyptians that were pursuing a wall of fire and the Egyptians could not pass through it. He was protecting his unwalled children who had no city. He was protecting them by a wall of fire. But I don't know if the children of, uh, of Israel, those people that were in Jerusalem, were, were recalling that event or not. They tell me that in that time period, that shepherds, as they were out in the, in the night, they would, they would take and they would build a wall of fire around their sheep in order to keep the predators out. Reminds me a little bit about Job, how, how the Bible tells us that there was a hedge of protection around Job. And the enemy could not get any closer to Job but what God allowed. And around God's people, there's a wall of fire of protection. So the other reason is that the glory of the Lord would be in the midst. We'd have the presence of God himself. Well, that's something to be excited about. You know, I... Around here, there's a, there's a lot of people who have cattle. And one of the things I notice is everywhere there's cattle, there's fences. You have electric fence or, or some kind of fence there to, to keep the, the cattle in and probably to keep some ornery people out. But do you know in Australia, as I, uh, I was reading, in Australia, their ranches are so large that it would be impossible for them to build walls. And so what they have done, instead of building the fences around uh, about their, their ranches, what they've done instead is, of course, it's dry. It's, the outback is, is, is just really dry. They dig a well, and there's water in a certain spot. 
And the animals know that if they want to survive, they've got to be near to where the water is. And though the animals may stray and go, go off in this direction and that direction, eventually they're going to come back to the source of, of water, the source of life. And isn't that just how it is with the Lord? The Lord has, has given us His presence. Folks, this is why it's dangerous to skip church when, when, there's, not a, uh, when there's not a good reason to. And it's, it's why I get concerned when, when sports take over and, and people miss church over that and they get, they get caught up in, in all these other things. Is because we need to keep going back to the source. We need to keep getting, getting back to the place where we get our life and our sustaining power from. And if we start straying too far, if we start straying too far from the city, start straying too far from the source of life, folks, we're going to be in a world of hurt. And God says, I'm going to be the glory in the midst. Back in Ezekiel, he told us, where we read that the Shekinah glory had left. God's presence had left Jerusalem, but God is promising it's coming back. It's coming back. Now I suppose most of you realize that, that Nehemiah would rebuild the walls. Nehemiah, God would, would call him to, to rebuild the walls, but that would not be for another 50 years. For 50 years, this city would be vulnerable. For 50 years, there would be no walls built. And the Lord himself was the protector of the city. And I want you to know that, that whatever you're facing and, and whatever predator the enemy is taking the form of, and the scripture tells us he comes as a roaring lion and sometimes he comes as an angel of light, but whatever form that the enemy comes in, that God has built a wall of fire. He is the wall of fire around about us. And we have nothing to fear when we are know and when we're close to the presence of Almighty God. God owns the city. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, this is a lot about Jerusalem. What's that got to do with us? And then I begin to realize that God has, God has not uh, chosen to, to dwell in a temple made with hands, but He is. He has chosen to dwell in a temple that's not been made by hands. He's chosen to, to live in hearts of flesh. To live in, in your heart and live in my heart. And I would begin to realize, you know, that it's really easy for us when we've been hurt, when we've been wounded, we'd like to build walls of protection around. We, we suddenly start building walls and, and we're not going to let that person hurt us anymore and we're not going to let that person hurt us anymore and we begin to wall ourselves off and we isolate ourselves. And God says, that's not what I want for my people. I want to give my people such blessings and so much of my presence and so much of my glory that it's going to be bursting forth. There's no room for walls. And that the Shekinah glory would dwell within us. Oh, what a change. What a change from a heart that's self-seeking and self-protecting uh, than one that is so overflowing with the blessings of God. They're saying, come, come to all the world. Come, listen, I've got the good news. I've got something to share. I've got an overabundance. 
I'm afraid that so oftentimes God's people are always running on empty. We don't have any outflow to give to anybody else. We don't have any joy left over to give to anybody else. We don't have any extra of the Holy Spirit to give to anybody else. We're holding on to what little bit we got. Let's get back to the source. Let's get back to the source so that we can have an overabundance and an overflow. And we just can't help but tell somebody about it. Zechariah, he saw, he saw a man who's going to measure the city. And God says, you don't need to measure the city. God's going to protect it. And God's going to inhabit it with his own glory. Wow. And then the, the angel begin, continues talking. And he begins to share. And he says, now there's one more thing that you need to know. He says, you need to tell the people that are still living in Babylon, come on home. Come on home. So the children of Israel are hanging out with the daughter of Babylon. Do you know it's dangerous to dwell in Babylon? It's dangerous to hang out in Babylon. Now I understand that there are those of God's people that God still has in Babylon for His purpose. Nehemiah is there and Ezra is there. Esther's there and Mordecai. There are some, some godly people that are still there after this call and this petition to come home. And I, and I understand that, that sometimes that God sends us into difficult circumstances and, and difficult situations. But we better be careful to know that our motive is pure and right. You see... God was blessing Babylon. Babylon was wealthy. Babylon had, had things going for it. They're, I mean, they were well protected. They had a great army. They don't have to worry about getting conquered anymore. They don't have to worry about uh, uh, starving anymore. There's money to be had. There's jobs to be had. Everything's going on uh, in Babylon, and it's wonderful. The bright lights of the city are calling, and the people are staying. And you know it's hard to go back to Jerusalem when Babylon's got so much going for it, and Jerusalem has almost nothing going for it. What's going on in Jerusalem? Well, the people are trying to, to build the temple, and, and they're trying to build their homes, and there's no walls to protect it, and it's vulnerable, and anybody could conquer it any time. What's happened in Babylon? Well, they got great walls, they got a great army, they got a great economy, they got the arts, they've got fun, they've got entertainment. I mean, Babylon's got it. You know, it's, one, it's a dangerous thing to start using human logic to start making decisions. I like, making, I like logic. I really do. I if, if i got to choose between making a, the, a logical choice or an emotional choice, I like to make the logical choice. I try to take other people's emotions in, in, uh, in consideration. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But, man, if I'm pressed up to the wall and I've got to make a decision based on logic or based on emotion, I'm probably going to make the decision on logic most times. But you know, human logic, human logic is so faulty and it's so short-sighted. You see, God's going to send judgment to Babylon, but the people don't know it. God's going to send a, a, a conqueror to, to Babylon and they're going to suffer because they, of what they've done to Jerusalem and what they've done to God's people. 
God says, "These you are, you, my children, are the apple of my eye. You're, you're the, the part of the body that we protect the most. You remember as a kid, Brother Doyle, that, I don't know, maybe they didn't do it back in the, when dinosaurs roamed the earth. But you remember, they'd come up to you and say, are you scared of a man this big? Did, you ever, did they ever do that? Are you scared of a man this big? You say, most people say no, and then you go like this, and, and they jump, and they, oh, I mean, that was, that was big fun. You scared of a man this big, and then you jump, and oh, yes, you are. You are scared of a man that big. You're not scared. That's good. That's good. The reason that, that most people jump is because the way we're wired is we protect our eyes above all things. If there's something coming at us, we are quick to cover our, uh, to get down in a crouch. We will cover our eyes. We will cover our heads. But we'll make it such that our eyes are the most protected part of our body. It is the way we are wired. More than anything else, we protect our eyes. And three times in Scripture, God says, you are the apple of my eye. You are the pupil. You are the part of my eye I protect the most. Wow. More than his angels. More than creation. More than his own son. He protects us the most. And God's saying, come on home, folks. Come on home. You need to, you need to leave Babylon and it's, and it's fun and it's entertainment and it's good jobs and, it's, and it's, it's bright lights. Come home to boring Jerusalem and it's no walls and it's, and it's concerns and worries. Doesn't make any sense. Don't you worry. God sees the end from the beginning. Lot had a choice, didn't he? You can pick wherever you want to go. And he says he saw the well-watered plains of Jordan. You know what he asked himself? He said, he said, I'm looking, where can I find a good place to raise cattle? But what he didn't ask is where's a good place to raise children? He lost every single one of his children, even the two that survived the storm and the destruction really were lost. Lot lost everything because he asked the wrong question. He asked the wrong question. And it's easy for us to, to get our eyes on the well-watered plains of Jordan. And it's easy for us to get our eyes on what's comfortable and what's easy. It's comfortable in Babylon. There's no enemies to attack. I mean, we got a great walls and great army and a great king. What do we got to worry about in Babylon? If I were to put Babylon and, and Jerusalem at this time side by side, over and over and over, human logic would tell us, go to Babylon. But God says, come home. Come home. And God's calling us to leave our, our worldly logic and our worldly ways behind and to focus in on Him 
and to make choices that, that others wouldn't make. It doesn't make sense to anyone else. It doesn't make any sense to, to leave the comforts of home and go halfway around the world to serve God in a foreign country. It doesn't make sense to, to, for a country boy from an unsaved home to answer the call to preach. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense to leave high paying jobs. A friend of mine who left being vice president of a bank to answer the call to preach. Doesn't make sense. Nope. But God knows. But God knows. When God calls you, and He will, I'm not saying He's going to call you to the ministry. I'm not saying He's calling you to a foreign country. But He will call you out of Babylon. He'll call you out of the places that are destructive to your soul and destructive to the souls of your children and your grandchildren. When He says no to, to an activity or a hobby or to desire, when God says that puts His boundaries in it and He says this isn't what I have for you and you say other Christians can do it. And God says, that's all right. I said, you can't do it. Working with an individual right now that they have a horrible and terrible addiction to, to sugar. You know, they go to camp meeting and the sugar's there because holiness folks can have sugar. We have, we have dessert, I think, at every meal at camp. Maybe not breakfast, but almost every meal, we have some kind of pies or some kind of, I mean, there's something full of sugar that's available to us. And this person told me that their addiction to sugar is so terrible and so awful that they literally shake, just literally shake and craving it going through the camp lunch line. And they went to somebody and they asked them, would you please pray for me? I can't, I can't deal with these cravings. I can't deal with the withdrawals that I'm suffering. And you know what the person said? I don't see what the big deal is. God said no because it has control over them. And maybe you don't think it's a big deal. And maybe I don't think it's a big deal. But folks, we better be careful when we go against what someone says is the word of God for them. We ought to be also very careful when God tells us no that we don't tell everybody else it's no for them too. That's right. Because there was a Mordecai and an Esther and an Ezra and a Nehemiah still back in Babylon. So we have to be really careful when God speaks to us that we don't try to make it for everybody else. We better be careful that when we tell other people about stuff that we're talking about God's word for all of us, not just for us. We have to be real careful when someone says, pray for me, and you don't think it's a big deal. You know, the best thing to say is, let me pray for you right now. Because you know what? A battle to them doesn't mean it's a battle to you, but you probably face battles that aren't battles to other people. You know, I, there's some things that I just don't face that I don't have temptations over. I don't understand why people have battles over certain things because I don't have those battles. I don't know anything about those battles. But I suppose I have battles that don't make sense to you. You probably look at some of my battles and say, that doesn't make any sense. Why do you have a problem with that? 
Something wrong with you? Well, yeah, there is something wrong with me. I'm but dust. But dust. And I don't have my glorified body yet. And I'm looking forward to the day when I do. I'm looking forward to the day when these battles of this world are over. I'm looking forward to the day when, when, it do, when the enemy can't uh, attack and, and, a, and the enemy has no more access. When he's finally bound up and he's done with for time and eternity. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to the day that I go into that great city of God and I'm hidden behind the walls of jasper and the gates of pearl and that the enemy can't send his army after me and he can't shoot his artillery through it. But I'm not there yet and neither are you. And we better be real careful when God tells us to leave Babylon. Whatever Babylon is to you, you better be careful. You want to follow. You'll want to follow. And your Babylon might be different than my Babylon. But we better be careful. We better be careful to find where God wants us to be. The angel continues to talk. And he says this. He says, let the people praise God. And there's two ways that he has them to praise God. And you're going to kind of be shocked by this if you weren't paying attention when we read through it. They're opposites. The first thing is, is they're supposed to sing. Isn't it wonderful when God's people get together and just sing? We were talking in Sunday school class and, and uh, Brother Doyle asked us, he says, when do you most feel the sense of the presence of God? And several people said, during singing. Music. Now, I didn't ask them if it was music alone in their truck or if it was music at church or if it was music just anywhere. We, we didn't get all the details. But music seems to be one of those places where people most sense the presence of Almighty God. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be that way, but it is that way. And what do we find with David? David singing to the Lord. And where we find throughout history is godly people. God raises up godly people and, and great preachers. And almost always God pairs with them a great singer. John Wesley would not have had the impact he had without Charles. And thank God for Charles who put the theology of holiness into songs so we could understand them. If you've tried to read some of John Wesley's works, you'd understand what I'm talking about. Charles had a gift that God gave him to be able to put into, into words, put into song and rhyme, our theology. And one of the great tragedies of our day is we've got so few holiness songwriters. In fact, I've talked to the Bible schools and I said, you keep singing the Baptist songwriter songs. You got any holiness songwriters? Not trying to be honoring, but I'm trying to make a point that we better do something within our movement to encourage if we've got a young person or a child that God's gifted this way, we better push and we better help and do everything we can because we need a Fanny Crosby. We need a Phoebe Palmer. 
We need a Charles Wesley in this day. We need a David. If I asked you to tell me a, a modern day holiness songwriter, I doubt very many of us could get past two or three. Especially if I limited it to those that are still alive and still writing. I'm not trying to be picking. I'm trying to help us understand if we find, if we find someone who God seems to be gifting that way, we need to support them. We need to be buying their CDs and their sheet music. We need to be singing it in our services. We need to encourage them. God's people sing praises to the Lord. But there's another way, and it's its opposite. It says, let all the flesh be silent. Wait a minute here. Wait, wait, wait a minute. God first tells us to sing, and then he tells us to be quiet. What is he doing here? It is necessary for us to sit down and be quiet so that God has an opportunity to speak to us. There is, it is necessary for us to have times where the Lord is doing the talking and we're doing the listening. When we're singing It's Wonderful, we're, we're letting the Lord know how we feel and, and we're singing about the theology of holiness and we're singing about God's goodness and we're singing about all these things and it makes us feel good. But it's, an, it's a totally different thing when God starts speaking to us. And there comes a time when, when you're listening in that truck or in your car on the way to work and the Lord shows up, it might be a good idea every once in a while to shut the music off and say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. You showed up in the car. You showed up while I was listening to that song. You're, you showed up here as I'm on my way home from work. You showed up here at my lunch hour. You're here. I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to listen. We don't hear much preaching on that. and We don't, we don't practice it very often. But if we're going to hear from Almighty God, we're going to have to be silent before Him. I don't know how... I've struggled and struggled with how we can do this in church. Silence makes us uncomfortable. And I know we live stream and, and silence with live streaming probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I don't want that to control our decisions. But do we give God opportunity to speak to us? You know, sometimes, sometimes I wish that just after the sermon, instead of dismissing you, I'd just, just sit down and just all of us just sit for 15 minutes and just think about what God has said to us. Not what I've said, but what God has said. I don't know, maybe that's weird. But I hope, I hope whether we do practice it here or not, I hope we practice it at home. Sometimes I get concerned with our prayer time. We just, all of our prayer time, I, I wonder if we're teaching you wrong by our just going through and asking God for all these things and never in our prayer time in church asking God to show up and speak to us. Because I hope at home we are in our prayer time saying, God, I've, I've given my request but now I'm just going to sit here and be quiet and let you have your say. 
I don't know if we're teaching you right or wrong, if we've been a bad example. There's a time to sing and there's a time to be silent. There's a time to tell God how great He is. There's a time for God to tell us what He needs to tell us. As I've been thinking about these prophetic visions and we're only halfway through them, I'm realizing that God keeps trying to hammer home the same points. He's with us and He's big enough to take care of us. All three visions that we've talked about this far, has God is with us, and He's big enough to take care of us. And wherever you are, and whatever circumstance you're facing, or that you will face, I want you to know God is with you, and He will take care of you. And if we can get a hold of that three times, three visions, God hammers that into Zechariah three times. Zechariah is going to tell this to the people. God is with us and he is big enough to protect us. And if we can get a hold of that, took three visions, three visions to get that across. And I realize this evening that even that isn't enough. Sometimes we're so caught up in our problems and we're so caught up in our, our situations and we're so caught up in, in, in the frogs of our lives that we forget that God is with us and He's big enough to take care of us. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus, but oh, for grace to trust Him more. It's my prayer tonight. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen. Let's stand together.